All right, so we're going to talk today about uh, Daniel chapter 3. Uh, I don't have any fancy. You'll get a listen, look at this beautiful uh, pastoral scene because I don't have any sermon notes for you. I forgot that I didn't put the sermon notes in when I put the songs in the other day. So you get the opportunity. This is old school stuff. Bible's in front of your chairs, and hopefully you brought a Bible with you. Open it up. Hold the Word in your hands. And I do this for a couple reasons. One, I want you to know that you have it with you always. And two... I don't want you to ever trust me completely, because I'm fallible, all right? So I want you to look at it and go like, well, you said this, but I read this, and I love those conversations. So, uh, yeah, so if you have a Bible with you, open it up. Daniel chapter 3, last week, we got all the way up to uh, the story of Nebuchadnezzar had decided that he was going to build a monument to himself. To do that, he wanted to, uh, the reason behind that was he wanted to bring all of his vast empire together in one centralizing focus, and that was to worship him. He actually was going to say, now I'm the deity. I'm, I'm the God. It was a huge monument, 90 feet high, 9 to 10 feet wide, not a good balance. Wasn't meant to stay up, but it was huge. Nothing? All right, so... In his vanity, in his egoness, he built this incredible monument. He got all the musicians together, every band, formed the first supergroup, and he said, you're going to play together, and when you do, everyone here is to bow down and worship me. So they had the coming out party, the first time, everybody shows up, everybody except Daniel, he was absent, on mission for the king, but everybody else was there. And the band starts to play, and everybody bows down except three guys. The three friends of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They get ratted out by some jealous guys, some haters. And they get brought, the haters go before the king and say, Hey, you know what? Everybody bow down except these three guys. Not going to tell you how to do your job, but if you want them to worship, and you want to be fully worshipped, they're not, and you're giving them responsibilities. Just letting you know. So Nebuchadnezzar... He's kind of upset. And so he does something that is kind of you know, good on his part. He doesn't, take, he doesn't take the accuser's word as gospel, pardon the pun, but he says, bring those guys here, I want to know. So he brings the three men in, and he asks them pointedly, hey, uh, guys, I'm hearing the music play, the, the idol's there, you didn't bow down, tell me what's going on. And I want you to realize that when he first did this, when we talked last week, his tone wasn't upset. He was almost fatherly, like going, guys, guys, look, hey, this is how this works. I want to help you out here. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they said, look, we can't bow down to another god, and that's basically what you're making yourself out to be. And they said something that was really, really important. They said, look, our god can save us from this fiery furnace because that's what Nebuchadnezzar had set up as the punishment, that anybody who didn't bow was going to be thrown into this furnace in front of everybody. And they said, look, our God can save us from this fiery furnace. But even if he doesn't, he's still our God. So we're not bowing. And this is where we pick up the story today. At the end of that, Nebuchadnezzar seems to get his back up a little bit. And he makes a statement. He says, uh, what God can save you from my hand? Now we know that Nebuchadnezzar has kind of gone off the rails here. Now he thinks pretty full of himself. And that's where we pick it up. 
verse 19. Notice how he changes the tune. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury. And the expression of his face changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. Here's something to learn just real quick. The world will play nice with you as long as you play nice with the world. But the moment that you go against the world, the world will hate you. I'm not going to say anything else. It's about as simple as I can make it. So he ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. <coughs> Excuse me. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the fiery furnace. Now, something to point out here. Everything is done to make sure that these three guys are quickly, completely, and lethally consumed by the fire. I mean, it's heated seven times the normal time. Now, we could get into all the statistics about how hot it was and what it burns. It was, it was hot. It, it was hot. It was so hot that the guys that went up to put them in died instantly. Hot. And I think it's just hilarious. Yeah, hilarious. That Nebuchadnezzar said, put all their clothes on them so that that catches up. Make them even more uncomfortable as they're going up to the furnace. And make sure that there is enough tinder there on them that it will combust easily. It's like, hello, my name is Shadrach. Could I be wearing any more clothes? They put them all in. And then they bind them up. For those of you, I just threw in a friend's reference and nobody got it. You all need to get, think, get something. Get, get, maybe, maybe, yeah, habit, hobby, something. That was good. That was good stuff. They bound up. It wasn't enough that they had every ounce and stitch of clothing on them. They bound them up and put them in the furnace. And they're done, right? Nebuchadnezzar, he turns, he turns around like he just shot the last second three and game is over. Like he let it go out of his hands and he knew it was in and he's off to the locker room. But then something happened. Verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods now key in on that son of the gods because that was jesus there's a lot of talk it could have been an angel could, no son of the gods was jesus jesus in the old testament there he was with these three men some other Head knowledge for it. In the Septuagint, which is um, the Old Testament written in the Greek language for Greek-speaking Jews, they add a little bit, and they say that Nebuchadnezzar's attention was caught by the three men singing praises. Like, he turned around, and all of a sudden, where's that singing coming from? He realized it was coming from the furnace. 
And if that's the case, it's really cool because I want you to remember that there was, there was two guys who were thrown in jail and it looked like it was the end for them. And they kind of had this attitude like, our God can save us, but even if he doesn't, we're still going to give him praise. And so they started singing. And it was Paul and Silas in the Philippian jail. And God worked in a miraculous way, and an earthquake opened up the jail cells, and they walked out. So let's just say that they were singing. The singing causes Nebuchadnezzar to turn around, and he goes, wait a minute. I put three guys in there. There's four now. That guy looks like the son of a God, and none of them are burnt up, and none of them are bound up. They're unbound. They're free. I want to step off on the, this just a little bit. Here's what I think. I've enjoyed so much studying this on a personal note. The only thing that the fire destroyed was all that bound them. The only thing that the fire touched was the shackles that they were put in before they went into the furnace. We're all going to be in the furnace. We all have been in the furnace. We all have had these trials. We all have had things that didn't go quite the way. I'm going to ask you this. What if the purpose of the furnace, the purpose of the trial, is to get rid of the shackles that you're carrying around when you're not in the furnace? What if God uses that furnace to take the shackles that we put on ourselves or others have put on us, either by word or deed or sin or commission or anything or circumstance? What if we've been walking around bound up like Eeyore? Oh, I don't know. It's not a bad life, you know. What if, what if God uses those times in the trial? To make us free of the things that are shackling us down. Because the things that are shackling us down outside of the fire, when everything's going great, are keeping us from reaching our hands up to him to get the fullness of what he has in store for us. Because everybody thinks they've got it. Everybody thinks they've got it going on. Everybody thinks they've got it handled. Everybody thinks their system is working out for them. Let me ask you, is your system working out for you? Maybe those are the chains of unforgiveness of bitterness, of sin. Maybe that's the sin that you're walking around. And maybe, maybe, just maybe, God lets you get into a trial and a fire so that that fire burns them off and all you have is him. Because the only thing that that fire consumed of those three men were their chains. Verse 26. Nebuchadnezzar turns around and says, something's up. So Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning, fiery furnace, and he declared, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. So if, you, if you're an underliner or a highlighter in your Bible, and even if you're using one of ours, go ahead and do this. If you're using one of ours and you don't have yours, take ours. They sell them every day. I know where we can get some more, so take, take it with you. But I want you to look at that line right there. The fire had not any power over the bodies of those men. That's important. 
Because we get, we get scared of the trial. We get scared of the furnace. We look at the furnace. We're like, I, don't know, I can't make it. I can't do that. Why? Because it's hot and there's fire in there. But there's a reason why Nebuchadnezzar said that. He, the fire had no power over the bodies of these men. The trial has no power over these men because they were thoroughly submitted to the power and the will of God. And before the time of Jesus, they knew the truth of Jesus' promise. Before Jesus landed in that furnace with them, they knew the truth of Jesus' promise from John 16, 33, when he says, In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. You know what I'm saying is this. There's furnaces out there. You're going to end up in some. I was in there. I overcame them. You're with me. You're going to overcome them too. Somebody needs to hear that today. Because you are either coming out of the fire, you're either walking into the fire, or you are in the midst of the fire. And what you need to know is, Jesus knew this. And he knew that he would make it through, and he knows that you will make it through. So, Nebuchadnezzar says this in verse 28. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him, and set aside the king's command, and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses laid in ruins. For there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. So Nebuchadnezzar gives glory to God, but he recognized that this great God is not his God. So even in seeing that, even been swept by the emotion of the moment, even been standing in the midst of a miracle, Nebuchadnezzar would not give up the throne of worship that he has planted his butt on. Pride, vanity, arrogance, shame, whatever you want to know, whatever it is, Nebuchadnezzar would not give it up. He saw, for his, his own eyes he saw, he saw the Son of God in the fire with these men. He saw the miracle that happened. And still, he was like, yeah, I acknowledge, but he's not my God. Because Nebuchadnezzar was all about being his own God. He was all about it. And this is why Nebuchadnezzar's conversion never stuck. We can be in an emotional state. Oh, man. We can be all emotional. Have that religious mountaintop experience. We can go through the rituals and the traditions. We can do all this. But it's going to be useless. Useless. Unless you are convicted and committed. And you get off the throne of your own worship. Let me just ask you this. You know people that go through ups and downs in their spiritual walk besides me? You might know people that the highest of highs and everything is 
yay Jesus, and put the fish on the bumper sticker, and here we go. We only listen to Caleb and nothing else. You know those? Just got off the retreat, just got down at the Bible study, nothing can touch me. You know those people, and then you're like three days later, they're down here, and they're in their car in Walmart parking lot, and you cut them off, and they give you the one finger I see you salute, and then they're mad all the time, or they're hopeless all the time. You've seen them? Okay. You might want to take stock, see if you are them on occasion, because this is what I'm talking about. This is when the emotions come in. Everybody, when it's a good day, everybody loves, hey, yay, Jesus. God is good all the time, all the time. God is good. When it's a bad day, we need Jesus. When it's a regular day, we put Jesus like the elf on the shelf. We put him up once Christmas is over. This is what Nebuchadnezzar was doing all the time. I know somebody's getting mad at me. I know somebody's getting frustrated with what I'm talking about. Guess what? I don't care. I don't care because I know it's the truth. You know why I know it's the truth? truth about me. We can be impressed and still not committed. We can have the show and none of the substance. We can have all of the trappings of a relationship with Christ and none of the saving grace because we are impressed or we're interested or we're intrigued or we're ingrained, but we're not committed. So this guy who is sitting there, this king, who is sitting there saying, this God of these guys is the man, is the God. This was the same God who moments before they were thrown into the fiery furnace said, who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? That's a, that's a quick flip, isn't it? Now Nebuchadnezzar knows a great deal about this God because he says it in his prayer. If you're looking at your words, follow with me. Nebuchadnezzar said this about this God. He said, he is the God of the Hebrews. He said, he is the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were Hebrews. He's saying he's the God. First of all, let's just make sure you know that I'm not making him the God quite yet. He is the God of the Hebrews. Then he says, he is the God who sends a Savior. When he said, who sent his angel. Then he's the God who said, he is the God of great power. When the scripture says he delivered his servants. Then he said, he is the God who is worthy of trust. Because the servants who he said, saved trusted in him. And then he said, he is the God worthy of full surrender. Because they refused my commands and they yielded their bodies totally to this God. So he is the God worthy of full surrender. And then he said, he is the God who demands exclusive allegiance when he said that they should not serve nor worship any God except their own God. See, that's, that right there will preach anytime. You want to know the attributes of God? Hit that with them. And here's Nebuchadnezzar the king telling them this and telling everybody this. But even though he was telling them this, Nebuchadnezzar knew a lot about God. He just didn't know him personally. The immortal words of Sidney Dean to Billy Hole in the great movie, White Man Can't Jump. Just because you're listening to him doesn't mean you're hearing him. Mm. Are you hearing him? 
Right now you're listening to me. Are you hearing me? The three Hebrew men, I love this. You know, Nebuchadnezzar just goes, he kind of goes, he like gives this great thing about this is how powerful and loving and wonderful their God is. And so here's the deal. If you don't worship their God, I will tear you limb from limb. And I will burn your house. And I can just imagine Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego going, oh, no, 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 please, no. This is not how it works, not how we do it. But we, we still try that, right? We, we still try to coerce somebody into to loving Jesus. Because coercion is a lot easier to do than witnessing. So when we go out and we evangelize, I don't think this is anybody here, because we would have talked about it if it was. And you go up to somebody and say, um, if you die tonight, are you ready? What are you going to do when that person looks at you and says, yep, I am. What's your coercion going to do then, chief? Coercion doesn't work. Fear-mongering doesn't work. Relationship works. Witness works. This is what Nebuchadnezzar didn't get. He goes, all right, I don't necessarily going to fall into this, but if any of you don't worship this guy's God, along with your other gods, I'm going to kill you. Coerced worship isn't good, either towards an idol or the one true God. But seeing that God work in the life of his people was an extremely effective testimony to Nebuchadnezzar. And it changed him. Maybe not permanently, but it changed him right then. So what do we take away from this? Well, there's a couple. Look, I don't think there's anywhere in the scriptures where you're reading that the three men knew that Jesus, the Son of God, was with them. doesn't say it verbatim. They could have known. They could have said, hey, what are you doing here? And Jesus said, well, I'm the son of God. And they said, well, let's sing then. I don't think so. I think it's more powerful that they didn't know whether or not he was with them. They sang anyway. So I don't know if the three men knew that the son of God was with them, but that's kind of irrelevant because they had already said whether he is with us or not, whether he saves us or not, we will worship God. In your trials that you all face, that we all face, in your trials, Sometimes we are aware of Jesus' presence, and it is so sweet. In the worst of your days, you can have that moment where you know that Jesus is so close to you, you can feel his breath on your neck, and it comforts you, and it strengthens you, and it holds you. You've had those moments in the fire, right? But you know what? There are also times that we're in the furnace, and we don't know if he's there. We're unsure if he's there. I've had them. There's somebody else that had them in the garden. Jesus wept blood. He cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He had moments of wondering if his, his father was with him. That's why I think he did that. I think that, that happened so that we can look back on it and go, there's, sometimes we're going to be in the furnace and we may not feel like the presence of God is with us. But he is. He is there nonetheless. Charles Spurgeon 
made this observation about God's people. He said that God's people are often in the furnace, and though there are different kinds, they serve similar purposes in our life. So there are three kinds of purposes. There are three kinds of furnaces, right? There's the furnace that man prepares. Maybe somebody prepares it for you and throws it in you because they want to attack you. Here's the one that I get caught in most of the time. A lot of times the furnace I get trapped in is a furnace I made for myself. Furnace of my own making. So there's the furnace that man prepares. Then there's the furnace that Satan prepares. Because you are precious. And whether you are called out a child of God or not, his only, his only reason for existence is to destroy you. Believer or non-believer. So the non-believers just don't acknowledge it. But there are furnaces all over the place that Satan puts up for us to walk into because he hates you. And wants to see you destroyed. And this is the one I hate to say the most. Because this is the hardest one to get out. You know what? Sometimes God builds a furnace and puts you in it. Because he's got a purpose. Oh. <laughs> we don't want that God. You know, we want the God that drives, you know, rides into town on a unicorn with rainbow glitter coming off its hoofs and giving us everything we want. But sometimes God goes, you know what? I've got some work to do here. I've got a furnace to put you in. Don't believe me? Turn to your Bibles, Isaiah 43, 1 through 2, the first two verses. This is what the prophet Isaiah says for the Lord. But now thus says the Lord who he created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel. He says this, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Next part. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. And when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. Let me talk to you for a second. You are either heading into the furnace, in the middle of the furnace, or heading out of the furnace. But guess what? There is a furnace in your path as long as you are on this broken earth. And you're either going to be there because you created them out of sinfulness or just not knowing any better. There are going to be some that are created by others because they want to see you fall. There are some that are going to be created by Satan because he wants to see you destroyed. And there are some that are created by God because he wants to see you better. He wants to see you in the fullness of who he created you to be. But no matter who made that furnace, you are not alone in it. He is with you. And you'll walk through water that are raging. And you will walk through fires that are burning. And you will not be consumed by anyone. And here's why. Get this. Get this. He's with you in this furnace because of the first verse. Don't be afraid of the furnace because I have redeemed you. You didn't redeem you. I redeemed you. I redeemed you. I called you by name. You are mine. There is a God who is willing to fight side by side with you in the furnace and fight your battles. I have three daughters I love very much. And I know that it's popular parenting. Probably very wise counsel that says at some point you have to let your children fight their own battles. To which I say, shut up and raise your own kids. Because I don't care if they're two or 22. My girl's going to battle. I'm like Rick flare on the outside apron ready to tag in. Woo! (laughs) 
Now, I am not equating me to God in the least. I am telling you this. You are not alone in your fight. You are not alone in your trial. You are not alone in your furnace. You have a God who loves you and is with you. And will fight for you. Who will defend you and define you and deliver you. So let's just do with this. What's this? You know, God can deliver us from a trial. Yeah, he can. Or he can miraculously sustain us, strengthen us, shape and prepare us in a trial. What if the trial you're in now is God's way of saying, I need you to be ready for the next trial. I need you to be ready to fight for someone that you love. I need you to be the blessing that I want you to be for everybody who's going to be around you. I want you to be better. This is how God takes care of his own. Through the fires. So this is the hardest thing I think I've ever had to say. Embrace the fire. Y'all familiar with the, the concept of dross in metal? Dross in, in metal is the name given to the impurities that are in the metal in its natural state. Gold, silver, steel when it's processed, iron ore. And the way they get the dross out to make the metal more valuable, stronger, better in character is they heat that natural metal up to a point where it's molten, it's liquid. And when it gets that hot, the dross, the impurities, rise up to the surface. And they skim it off the top. And they let it cool, and then they heat it back up again. And they, they have to do this several times to get all the impurities out. But when it's done, the metal is more valuable, stronger, all those things. Or if you ever looked at someone who made a, a sword, you know, they, they heat the metal up once it's in that elongated front. I had all these fancy terms for it, but I didn't think you'd want to spend all this time learning about how to make a sword. But a lot of heat that's involved, heat that stretches it against what it wants to do. And they get to the point where they want to shape the sword, and the sword is, the steel is soft, and it's, it's malleable, and they, they move it, and they shape it, and they put the edge on it, and then they cool it. And then, to harden that sword, they heat it up to nearly the point of when it's molten and loses its shape. And then they immediately put it into a cold substance to cool it off. And then they do it again, and then they do it again. They keep repeating it, and every time they heat it up, and every time they cool it off, the sword becomes stronger. What if God puts you in the furnace sometimes to take off the dross, to rid you of the impurities? Somebody a lot smarter than me said this. Solomon said in Proverbs 25, 4, he said, Take away the dross from the silver, and the smith has material for a vessel. Look, I hate being in fires. I hate being in the furnace. I hate being, oh, I hate being stretched. But every time you come out, you come out stronger if you allow God 
to take off the dross, take off the imperfections, whatever they may be. Maybe they're hurt. Maybe, maybe it's bitterness. Maybe it's unforgiveness. Maybe it's sin that's in your life. Maybe it's the sin that you placed on an idol of worship because you think that's as good as it gets. I'm saying, let the fire do its work. Let the fire bring the dross to the surface and let God skim it off so that you can become all that he created you to be. Because there is power. The power of the fire. Nobody wrote that hymn because it's not going to be popular, right? (laughs) Oh, go out and have a lousy day and give your God praise. The power of the fire, the power of the fire. I just did that. That's the musical genius that I am. That's not written on the notes. (laughs) Pam won't have that in her blog because that's not written in the notes. That's just, that's how it works. That's how it works. But there is power in the post-furnace witness of our lives. That's what got Nebuchadnezzar. These guys witnessed. They didn't have to say a word. They just got out of the fire. But their power, the power of that witness was so great that Nebuchadnezzar changed. Maybe not permanently, but he changed. And I'm going to tell you something that's really lousy to tell you, but it is true. There are people in your circle, people in your your life who won't miss a moment of watching you burn. They will gather around the furnace. They will go, well, he had it coming. Or she should have been burnt up a long time ago. There's not a shortage of people who will gather around when you fall or when you're going through a trial. But will they watch you rise from the ashes? I guarantee you they'll watch you burn. And they'll be like Nebuchadnezzar and say, well, that's done. And they'll turn away. And they won't care if they hear singing. And they won't care if they see another one in the fire with you. They'll just walk away. There are people who do that, but there'll be others who like hear you sing or hear you proclaim your plays or see you come up from the ashes. And they will turn to them and go, wow. People will watch you burn. Will they watch you rise? Like I said, we're all going to be in the flames. We're all going to have the trials. The things that we do before the furnace are the things that keep us alive in the furnace. Submission, obedience, walking with God now. Day by day, little by little. Started with Daniel saying, I can't eat that because it was offered to other gods. The little things on a daily basis. Make you fireproof so that when you're in the flames, even though they raise high, even the flames can take your life. But in the midst of being consumed by the earthly flames that can only destroy the body, you proclaim a witness that is greater than that. You will save lives. I'm telling you, what we show people from our trials can save them from the fire that they will face. And I know some of you got trials. I know you do. I know you're hurt. I know you're thinking, man, this isn't how I wanted it to work out. This isn't where I wanted to be right now. I get that. I'm with you. You're sitting there saying, life's not fair. Hey, guess what? Fair got kicked out of the Garden of Eden. It hasn't been fair since. It's not going to be. I'm not trying to make light of your fire or your furnace or your trial. I'm trying to make much of my God. 
because he loves you. And he will provide for you. And he will be there with you. Whether you feel him or not, he will be there with you. And when you rise up from that furnace, people will see you. And they may not come running up to you and say, tell me your secrets. They may not do that. They may troll you on Facebook or Twitter, see how you're doing after the fire. I don't know how they'll do it, but there are going to be people that come up to you and say, help me with my fire. And you can because you've been there. And there are going to be others that have never talked to you. And they said, I want what he has. What we show people from our trials can save them from the fire. There are two things, and this is, this is totally John, all right? There are two things. When, when, when I get to see God in heaven, when I, when, I, when I get my reward, whenever that is, there are two things I want to hear said. Well done, good and faithful servant. And nice rebound. There's more power in our rebound than there is in anything else. There's more power in our rising than anything else. Don't believe me? This is how important Paul thought it was in 2 Corinthians 3, verses 2 through 3. You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human heart. You are his testimony. You are his power. You are his witness. You are the lamp in the darkness when you rise from your furnace because you know that he has you. Now I want to talk to those that may not be that confident. It's nothing that you've done, nothing that you can do, nothing that you will do that will separate you from the love of your Father in heaven. There's no misstep, there's no mistake, there's no sin that he hasn't already covered through the blood on the cross of Calvary. There is none of that. Whatever kind of furnace you're in, whoever made it, wherever you're at now, he is with you. My friend, Ed Carr, is a great songwriter, reminded me of a song, I can't even remember who the name of the artist was, I think it was Steve Green, had a line in a song that said, sometimes when we can't touch his hand, we have to trust his heart that he is with us. He's with you. For those of you that believe and trust that with all your heart, the fire still stinks. It still hurts. He's with you. So here, once again, let me end with this. This is the hardest thing to say because I don't like it one bit. Let the fire do its work. Because the God that loves you is with you the entire time. And he is making you better when you cling to him. Let the fire do its work. And realize this, there will be haters, there will be heat, but there will be help from a God who loves you. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this time. Thank you for your message and your word. Thank you for the way that you love us. 
and that you don't leave us. And even when we can't feel you there, we know that you are there. We love you and we thank you.